you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 as we carry on our exposition of God's Word from the book of Acts. We'll begin reading in verse 1, going to verse 10 of chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame, lame man came, a man lame from birth, was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And as all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, he may be. In 1921, a Swedish couple named David and Svea Flood left their home to serve God as missionaries in the heart of Africa. At the time, it was the Belgian Congo. If you ever read Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, this is the area of Africa that this couple went to. And they settled in an area near a village that they hoped to be a mission light as missionaries too. And they prayed and they ministered for years in this location. But they were seemingly never able to make inroads. In fact, the village chief forbid anyone from the village to talk to them unless they anger their local gods. And in fact, the only contact that David and Svea Flood were able to make was with one little boy that would sell them eggs and chicken. And Svea thought, though she might not be able to minister to the village, and though she would not make an impact in Africa as she hoped, she perhaps could reach this young boy. And so that's what she began to do. Every day when he came, she befriended him and told him about Jesus, the best that she could, using his native tongue. Well, while they were there, Svea became pregnant, and she was to deliver a baby, a baby girl, which she did, and they named her Ina. But the delivery was extremely difficult, and due to complications of malaria, Svea died 17, later, 17 days later after the delivery of this new baby girl. And so David, her husband, dug a very crude and simple grave and there buried his wife in the heart of Africa. But he himself had had enough, not only with this failed missionary endeavor, but with Africa and even God himself. They had come to Africa to be his servants and witnesses, but God had seemingly taken everything away, now even his wife. And so, in fact, he left his newborn daughter with another missionary couple in Africa, and David went back 
to Sweden, a very callous man, renouncing his faith in such a God that he came there to serve. But unbeknownst to him, through the birth and the subsequent death of his wife, hearts were softened, especially the heart of the chief in that village. And as a result, he and others wanted to know from this little boy what it was that Svea had taught him. And that little boy taught them everything that he knew about Christ. And people in the village began to believe. And years later, that little boy who sold eggs and chicken actually established a Christian school in that village to teach other boys and girls about Christ, just as Svea had done to him those many years before. And that once hardened village eventually had over 600 believers in Christ, all because of a birth and because of a death and because of a faithful witness to the least of these. This story illustrates an important truth, doesn't it? Often we expect that God would work in a particular way, and we, as a result, become disappointed or discouraged and sometimes disheartened when he does not work in the way that we want him to or even expect him to. And we often come to the conclusion, even though we may not verbalize it, that God is not at work. That is not true. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. God indeed works in mysterious ways. But if we trust him through it, we will receive that which we were never expecting. And that is so much better to receive that which we were never expecting than to receive that which we were expecting. And that is exactly what we see in this story before us in the book of Acts, the healing of a lame man. What was he expecting? He was expecting to receive money. But in the end, he received so much more. And so that will be our two points this morning. Expecting, but not receiving. And then second, receiving what was not expected. First, expecting, but not receiving, as we saw last week in verse 43 of chapter 2, that the apostles were doing many signs and wonders. And many examples could have been chosen by Luke as he made this history of the work of the apostles, but he chose to include this story that we have at the beginning of chapter 3. And he most likely did this because this healing led to an opportunity to preach, as we will see next week. It also was the beginning of persecution of the early church. But as we saw and will see, as wonderful and as miraculous as these healings were and these miracles are, as we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a supernatural sign upon the apostles that they were given authority, we see that it was never the focus of their ministry. In fact, we we read of these stories of Peter and the apostles doing these wonderful signs and wonders, and we have specific examples like we do here, and as we will 
see later in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, but those healings and those miracles pale in comparison to their teaching and their preaching. In fact, Luke goes out of his way. In fact, he he spends at least 10 times the amount of words and ink on the sermons preached than upon the people that were healed. In other words, the apostles did not have a healing ministry for healing's sake. Rather, it was a means to authenticate their true ministry, which was to preach and proclaim Christ. See, oftentimes we get those things turned around, don't we? We are very wowed and amazed by these signs and miracles. But then what do we do? We, we kind of skip over the, the preaching and the teaching. No, the signs and the miracles led to the preaching and to the teaching. And so the preaching and the teaching is the focus. And we shouldn't turn those around. We need to hear Jesus' rebuke. Because you remember that Jesus also did many signs and many miracles and, and many healings. But again, was that the heart of his ministry? I would say no. The heart of his ministry was to preach and to teach. And in fact, in John chapter 4, he rebukes the Jews because he says to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And I say that as a rebuke because the Jews were given the scriptures, the Old Testament, and yet they did not believe what the Old Testaments proclaimed, namely himself, but rather they were amazed by the signs and the wonders. And in fact, they came to Jesus just to see the signs and the wonders. They wanted to kind of discard his, his teaching. And he says this, it's very interesting, in contrast, because you remember what also happened in John chapter 4. You have the Samaritan woman. And what happened? Well, that woman was miraculously converted. And what did she do? She went into her village, and because of her testimony, many others believed. And John says this. It says, when the Samaritans came to him, that is Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Do you hear what John is saying? They didn't need the sign. They didn't need the miracle. They believed Jesus because of his word. Many will say today, no, we need signs and we need wonders. We need things to to amaze people in order for them to believe. And I would say to you, no, we don't. We have Christ and we have Christ's word and his word is sufficient. That's why we proudly proclaim ourselves as sola scriptura people. Isn't that what Jesus also said with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? You remember that story, right? The rich man goes to to Hades or to hell and Lazarus goes to heaven with Abraham and they have this conversation. The rich man says to, to Abraham, in fact, demands that Lazarus be sent back from the dead to warn his family so that they will not end up in this same dreadful place as him. Do you remember what Abraham said to him? Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophet. Let them listen to them. But do you remember what the rich man said? No, Father Abraham, 
If somebody goes back from the dead, then they will repent. You hear what the rich man is saying. He's saying if they have these amazing signs, if they have this wonderful miracle of somebody coming back from the dead, then they will surely believe. In other words, the the word of God is, is not enough. It's not sufficient. But Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. You hear what Abraham is saying? If they do not believe Moses, if they do not believe the prophets, then they will not believe even the greatest of all miracles, the rising from the dead, which was obviously a foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection. And yet, what do we read? That many saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, and yet they still did not believe in him. See, faith does not come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. And that is what you see with this miracle. The miracle is great, but what is behind it is even greater. And that's what we must see, and that's what we must discover this morning. Well, we see that Peter and John were going to the temple, and they were going there to pray. It says that they were going at the hour of prayer. There was three times that religious Jews would pray morning, afternoon, and evening, and this was the hour of afternoon prayer, approximately 3 p.m., as Luke tells us. And there, as they went, they went through the temple gates, and there was at the temple gate a man who was lame. The temple had eight gates by which to enter and exit. And this particular gate that they entered in through that day was called the beautiful gate. And it was appropriately named, perhaps because it was the the largest and the, the most beautiful, the most ornate of all of the temple gates. It was covered with precious metals, with gold and silver and bronze, and it was massive in size. Don't think of your your fence gate at your home or even the the two doors at the the back of this sanctuary. No, this gate was incredibly beautiful and incredibly massive. It would take about 20 men to, to open and close this gate. And yet, what do we see? Well, there's irony, isn't there? the beautiful gate, there was something that was not right. There was this man that was lame, meaning that not all was right. Not all was good. Not all was even beautiful. And Scripture has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Oftentimes, we we like to think that everything is is good in the world, and any problems, well, we just kind of put those out of our way. We put those out of our mind, but oftentimes, reality comes crashing in. We live indeed in a fallen world with real hurt and real pain. Pain physically, pain emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And all of those things in themselves are, are not beautiful, are they? And this man knew that all too well. You know that Luke was the physician. He gives us very important details 
about this man and about his injuries. In fact, he wasn't just injured or crippled from a fall. Rather, he was lame from birth. That means that he had never walked. He never ran. He never jumped or skipped. And he was therefore limited. Limited physically, obviously, but also vocationally. There was no Jews with Disability Act during that day. So they were wrongfully discriminated against. They had no practical way of providing for themselves except to, to beg. And even then, they would have to rely upon the mercy of others. This man had to, to be carried there to the, the beautiful gate in order to be able to just sit there and cry out for people to give him alms. But we also know that this man was also cut off spiritually. We know from the day, in fact, from John chapter 9, when there was a man that was blind, the question was asked, Jesus, was it because this man sinned, or that his parents sinned, that he was born blind? And you see and understand the, the viewpoint from that day, that this person, they were disabled, probably because it was a judgment of God, rightfully so, upon his parents or upon him. Therefore, there was little to, to no mercy. Many people thought that this man was getting what he deserved. And as a result, those that were disabled, those that were crippled, like this man, were excluded from the community of God. And so there he was, not allowed to come in. In fact, he was not allowed to go past that gate because such deformity in the house of God was seen as a perversion of worship. And so there he sat, day after day. Quite a sad and pitiful existence, crying out, hoping for people to be somewhat kind and somewhat merciful, but largely being overlooked and neglected. And yet what is amazing is that he was not overlooked by God and by those that represented the, the true God, God of heaven and earth, that day he encountered two of the apostles, Peter and John. And through that encounter, his life was changed. We see in verse 3 that seeing Peter and John, this man asked to receive alms. This says Peter directed his gaze at him, which no doubt was was hopeful, was promising for him. That was probably a rare occurrence that someone would actually look at him and make eye contact with him. Most, as you can imagine, would ignore him or, or look the other way. And if he could catch an eye, maybe there was hope, but he received more than that. In fact, verse 5 says that Peter told him to look at us. And we see there, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Don't miss that verse. He was expecting to receive something from them. But what was that something? That something was money. 
or at the very least, food. In other words, he was looking for some physical provision. There was no hope or even a thought of something even greater than that. And I think that we oftentimes, sadly, fall into this same pattern and this same thought process where we think, Lord, this is what I need. If I had this, then all my problems would go away. Lord, if I had more money, or if I had a job, or if I had a different job, or if I got married, or if I had kids, or if I had more kids, or if I could just be healthy, or if I had friends, and the list goes on and on of what we think that we need. And oftentimes we pray things like this, and I'm guilty of doing this as well. We pray something like this, Lord, if you would, if you would just, Lord, if you would, if you would just do this, or if you would just do that, then all would be well. My problems would be solved. I would be the, the happiest man or woman or boy or girl in the world. It's not that those things are unimportant. It's not that the Lord doesn't care about them. He does. None of those things will provide ultimately what we are looking for, will they? Nor will any of those things satisfy. Because even if we do receive them, we'll have something else that we seek later on. In other words, they are all temporary solutions. But Jesus didn't come to be a temporary Savior. He didn't come to solve all our gripes and our problems and our complaints or even our wishes. No, he's not a temporary Savior. He's an eternal Savior. In other words, he didn't come to put a Band-Aid upon us and kiss our boo-boos. No, he came to give us whole life restoration. He didn't come to put lipstick on a dead corpse. He came to bring us from death unto life. And so oftentimes, I think our expectations are entirely too low. Yes, the Lord is gracious to, to answer those temporary things and, and praise God for them, but I think our manifesting problems is usually an opportunity for us to see something much greater and something much more eternal. And therefore, receive the much greater blessing. And that's what we see in this passage, do we not? We see it with our second point, receiving what was not expected. You see Peter saying, I have no silver and gold. And the old King James, I think, says it better and closer to the original. Silver and gold, have I none? But what I do, I give to you. And what is it that they did have? They didn't have silver. They didn't have gold. They had Christ. And Christ is far greater than silver and gold or any earthly or human 
provision that God has never spurred his children nor provided what they needed. He never withholds what we lack because God is not cruel. He is not harsh to his children. As the scripture says, if our earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much greater our heavenly father who is perfect in every way. Could it be that sometimes when we do not receive what we think we need, we are misunderstanding this situation or we're seeing things askew. We are seeing things from below and not seeing things from above. With his perfect wisdom and his perfect sight and insight into our situation, we look at the world at the underside of the tapestry, which is full of knots and string and yarn that is going everywhere, and it doesn't seem to make any kind of sense, but God is the master weaver who's creating a magnificent tapestry where everything is perfectly put together, but yet that is hidden from our sight. And how do we know that God will provide what we need? Because he has given us all that we need. In other words, he has given us Christ. Have we forgotten that? Do we lack? Not if you have Christ, nor our cup overflows. And that is what we see here, that through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man is healed. Peter says to this man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it says he took him by the hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And he was able to rise up and, and to walk. And yes, this man got what was provided, that which he needed. He was given his physical need. And we must praise God for that. He got to experience that which he never experienced before. He was able to walk and not only walk, but able to leap. And that must not be underemphasized. In fact, Luke makes a point of it. You see it there. It says that he was able to rise up and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And Luke emphasizes it three times that this man that was never able to walk was able to walk. And yet what is even more amazing than that? What is it that he was able to do with his new physical ability? He was able to walk into the temple, walk into that place that he was never able to go before, to be with the people of God, to, to worship and to praise and to give thanks. And that is greater and even more needed than even his physical need being provided for. This story should remind you of another healing, the healing that Jesus does of a similar man the paralytic. And you remember the story as, as he is teaching in this crowded house, they, uh, three friends or four friends begin to remove the roof and they, they lower this man down. And there is this man is on his, his mat there lying on the ground. It's very obvious that this man cannot stand up. He cannot walk. 
Jesus looks at this man. Do you remember what he says? He doesn't say, rise up and walk. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. I could imagine people in the crowd going, Jesus, his legs. Need to heal his legs. Man looks at the outward appearance, doesn't he? God looks at the heart. So what was greater than this man's physical healing was his spiritual healing, the need for the forgiveness of sins. The same is true here. Why is that more needed? Why is that more necessary? Derek Thomas in his commentary says, God may heal us in this world, but the principle of death still operates. This cripple who leaped in the temple still eventually died. Do you hear what Thomas is saying? He's saying you can solve all of the temporary problems, but if you don't solve the eternal one, then what difference does it make? All will still face the judgment. And that's true today, isn't it? You could possibly eradicate COVID off the, the face of this earth. And this world would rejoice. And you would be a hero. But you still won't save anyone, would you? All would still die. All would still need to meet Jesus. And that's why Peter goes on from this sermon as we will or this healing to, to preach Christ. And that is why we, we do mercy ministry, isn't it? But we need to do more than just mercy ministry. Yes, we are to, we are to help and we are to, to, to give people that which they need, but there is a greater need than what their temporal need may seem. Through their temporal need, they would receive temporal mercy, but hopefully they would also receive eternal mercy and grace in Christ. I think the convicting question that we need to ask ourselves is do we have the eyes, and even more importantly, the, the heart, to see such people that are around us, that are hurting and needy? You can think of the thousands and even millions that passed by this man on their way to, quote-unquote, church. Do we see those that are around us at our gate? Do we pass by them? Do they have a physical need or even greater than that, a spiritual need? And do we have hearts that care? Why this healing? Well, as we go to the table, we can talk about how wonderful this healing is. But perhaps even greater than that is that this healing, like Jesus' healing, were a sign of something greater. We're a sign of the coming kingdom of God. The sickness and death demonstrates that there's something out of whack with this world. That's why we have this lame man at this beautiful gate. And though there is not a direct line between sickness and sin, there is the direct line between the one sin, that of Adam and Eve, and all sickness in this world. And so there is only one solution to 
all the problems of this world, and that is Jesus Christ. It's by his stripes that we are healed. And so does Jesus heal today? Absolutely. Does he heal even miraculously? Yes. But does that mean that we will always have healing right here and right now? Or is there even the gift of healing? No. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Nor does that mean that the cause of sickness has not been dealt with. No, one day in the world to come, we will all be healed. And we will all have perfect bodies. That's what Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 35. He says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion and sing everlasting joy. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You hear what Isaiah is saying? There's one day when all the ailments will be taken away, and all of the sorrow and sighing will be done with, and we will only have gladness and joy. And what this miracle demonstrates, as do all miracles, is that with the coming of Jesus, that day has broken in. Not fully, not finally, but this healing is a down Payment. It is a picture of the down payment of what is to come. And so if we pray and pray and are not healed or are never healed, we know that in Christ we do have the healing that is needed and necessary. Perhaps not the temporal healing, but the eternal healing. And that's why Paul can say, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self be wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Is that true of you? Is that what you see? Because I tell you, if you go away sad this day, because you didn't receive what you were expecting, even though Jesus Christ is here and he is present, and you're missing the point. But we realize that our problems may be the problems that bring us to the ultimate solution, which is Christ, then we can have true and eternal healing and in him have all that we need because we have Christ. Christ is all we have. He is also all we need. So as we come to this table this morning, we get to taste and see this new kingdom. We get to receive in part that which is ours already in full. And one day we'll fully receive. So this day, as we come, come to this table, walking, leaping, and ultimately praising God. Because in Christ, we are made well. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God, Lord, would you give us that perspective this day. It's so easy for us to complain and to whine and to think of that which we do not have instead of that which we do have. And that which we have is Christ. And Christ is far greater. May we be reminded of that this morning as we come and eat.
and partake together. Would you meet us at this table and fulfill all of our eternal needs you already have done in the shedding of your blood and the breaking of your body for us?